This time on episode 376 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we discuss Jessica Jones, season three, episode four, a.k.a. Customer Service is Standing By, episode five, a.k.a. I Wish, episode six, a.k.a. Sorry Face, and episode seven, a.k.a. The Devil Half Wappinger, and weekly Marvel news. I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, May 16th, 2021, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast freeway wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record. Michelle, happy National Do Something Good for Your Neighbor Day. Yeah, we should always be doing something good for each other. That's right, especially your neighbors. And this holiday or national day was started specifically to look out for your elderly neighbors. So, you know, if you happen to have an elderly neighbor that might have some problems doing some yard work, maybe on this early spring or late spring, then, uh, you know, helping them out would be great. So, yeah, do something good for your neighbor day. It was actually founded by Mr. Valentino, Star Valentino, in uh, 2009 so this has been going on for 12 years and with that we'll get on with the rest of the show legends of shield is a fan-based podcast on the marvel cinematic and comic book universes because it's 5 p.m so i'm leaving if you'd like to talk to us about set work days you can leave us a message on our website at legendsofshield.com you can leave us a voicemail at 844 the bus one that's 844-843-2871 if you have stories of coworkers literally getting up in the middle of you telling them about something that they need to do, you can leave us a message on our Facebook page at Legends of Shield Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. If you got to catch that train on the way out and you just need to drop whatever you're doing at work, let us know how that goes on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gonna geek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. Let's face it, if you have any sort of coworker story whatsoever that fits into a set timing schedule, maybe they're late, maybe they just leave on time, or maybe they leave a little early, you can join us on our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of Shield is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Now, Agent Lauren decided that 4 p.m. Eastern was her quitting time on Sunday, so she just didn't bother to show up today and uh, is not with us. That's right. Jillian is like the best assistant, and so if you have to learn from someone on how to be an assistant, Jillian is the one to learn from. 
I did. And what we're talking about is Jessica Jones, Jillian season three. And yeah, she handled a lot of situations really great, especially working for Jessica Jones, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But yes, Agent Lauren is not with us tonight. She is still recovering basically from one of the procedures she had. She should be okay. But if you want to reach out to her, you can catch her on Twitter at Sith Witch. But until next time that she's with us, we're going to continue on with Jessica Jones into season three, episodes four through seven. We're going to do that right now. All of season three of Jessica Jones, which was basically the finale of the Defenders universe, was published to Netflix on June 14th, 2019. We're quickly approaching the two year mark for that, and hopefully we'll be done before the two years. The first episode we're going to be covering tonight is season three, episode four, a.k.a. Customer Service is Standing By. It was directed by Liesl Tommy, who has eight directing credits starting in 2017, including one episode of Queen Sugar, one episode of Diet Land, one episode of Insecure, one episode of The Walking Dead, one episode, this episode of Jessica Jones, and two episodes of Mrs. Fletcher. The episode was written by Jamie King, who has six writing credits starting in 2011 including various shorts, four total episodes of Jessica Jones, and one episode of Impulse. Michelle, who was the creative team behind the fifth episode? AKA I Wish was directed by Marzi Almas, who has 34 directing credits starting in 2001, including One Sanctuary, Nine Smallville, One Alphas, Two Defiance, Three Lost Girl, One Dark Matter, Two Lucifer, Two Arrow. One Supergirl, five episodes of The Hundred, one Iron Fist, four Legends of Tomorrow, two Jessica Jones, three Impulse, and two Batwoman. This episode was written by Jay Holtham, who has seven writing credits starting in 2013, including nine episodes of Pitch, two Cloak and Dagger, one Jessica Jones, and four Supergirl. I just want to point out that I myself have covered episodes that were directed by Marzi and written by Jay Holtham for years. Going back to Defiance with Marzi Almas, and whenever their names come up, it's generally a pretty decent episode. I mean, they continue to get work in the industry, in the genre industry, so I would look for their names in future episodes. Episode 6 of Jessica Jones Season 3, aka Sorry Face, was directed by Tim Iancofano who has eight directing credits starting in 2000, including one episode of Profiler, one episode of CSI New York, one episode of Supernatural, five episodes of 24. I'm not sure which season, but of course, you know, it's 24 hours in the entire season for that. One episode of Traveler, two episodes of Kingdom, and this episode of Jessica Jones. The episode was written by Jesse Harris, who has two writing credits starting in 2012 including a short called Sour Notes and this episode of Jessica Jones. Michelle, why don't you take us down the last episode that we'll be covering today, The Double Half Whoppinger. This episode was directed by Larry Ting, who has 32 directing credits starting in 2009, including Seven Medium, One Burn Notice, One Arrow, Five in CIS Los Angeles, Seven Elementary, Six Supergirl, Two The Walking Dead, One Doom Patrol, One Jessica Jones, Two Runaways, and Nine Nancy Drew. This episode was written by Nancy Wong, who has 13 writing credits starting in 2001, including Two Providence, Two Jericho, Nine Being Human, Six Rain, Three Supernatural, 
Three episodes of Frequency and one Jessica Jones. And Jessica Jones is based on the Marvel comic by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. So we're covering four episodes of Jessica Jones today. And I had no idea what these four episodes were when we started into this because I haven't seen the series yet. The series has been divided by Michelle for us to cover basically her looking at the series going, okay, this is a good block of episodes to cover. So when she started saying there's four episodes to cover this week, I was like, okay, so we'll see where the story goes for four episodes. And I'm not saying anything necessarily against the creative team or the actors. I think the performances were good. I think the individual episodes were written okay. I have a lot to say, though, about a superhero series and comparing it to Jessica Jones and failures and successes. But I think that these four episodes could have easily been one episode. Easily. What do you think, Michelle? Exactly. We find out the plot of the season, which is go get the serial killer. We find out who the serial killer is. And we find out there's more victims and we find out what Burger Boy's superpower is. And we've got more issues with Trish. That was four episodes. Which could have been stories A, B, and C, possibly a D storyline, possibly a D storyline in one episode, in my opinion. Here's my issue, I guess, with these four episodes of Jessica Jones, not necessarily Jessica Jones in general, but these four episodes. If you take a look, at a Marvel comic book serial series. Viewers generally want some sort of superhero action. Yes, you can't have the big screen Marvel comic universe film the entire time. I get it. But they want to see some sort of superhero powers. And one of the problems is Burger Boy, you can't really see his powers. He just gets a headache when he goes across a bad guy and is able to tell. But there's no like visualization of it. There's no brain waves going back and forth or anything like that. I mean, at best you get some sort of suspenseful music and Jessica's powers is super strength. So she could basically just throw something really far and a little wire work, but they really didn't do much of that. Not until the seventh episode and Trisha's superpower is seeing in the dark, which we don't see any visualization of that and parkour basically the superpower of parkour, which is, it's cool. I mean, I can't do that sort of stuff and it'd be great to be able to do that sort of stuff, but it's not really exciting to show on television and to get four episodes of not even showing those superpowers as you're going through it. It gets to be a little like, why is this really a Marvel series? It's yes, I get it. It's a private detective series, but you want to see some sort of superpowers with it too, or at least I do. Am, am I off base there, Michelle? No, this plot could easily be an episode of NCIS or Law and Order or something like that. When you have a general serial killer, it's not even anyone who has any sort of superpower. We're not investigating any other superpowered beings. She's not getting involved with Luke Cage or iron fist and i mean at least with luke cage he would get shot up and you would always get that visual of you know his clothes coming apart even with iron fist sure we didn't always get like the glowy hand but we got fighting 
and of course, Daredevil, all the fighting. But with this, if you're going to be a detective show, but you're also a superhero, get closer to the comic book origins. Get Borrow some of those where she's actually investigating the wrongdoings of superheroes. She's actually doing something besides this generic story. This isn't like, a, this is just like some guy from Criminal Minds. And that's what we're getting. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to seem like I'm harping on this, but I do want to bring up a few other points before we leave this topic in general. So one of the things that I want to see, and you brought it up actually right now, one of the things uh, I'd like to see in superhero comic book stuff is a team up or a crossover. We kind of get a team up with Trish and Jessica Jones like teaming up finally, but there's no like crossover with the rest of the series. I mean, we we get the reference of Maury from the morgue. I mean, we saw Maury recently, just the last series that we did with the Punisher, right? Punisher season two. but. We didn't even see Maury. We just see the the arm in a bag, right? That's thrown into the villain's apartment. So there's no really crossover. Also, I am not a reader of Jessica Jones comics, but I was not familiar at all with the villain here. I don't know if the villain is a comic book villain or not. I just, I'm like, oh, you're right. It's something out of just a normal TV series, just a really, or supposedly arrogant smart person he's got big chunks in his armor which we'll talk about later but he's not like a superhero villain at least not that i know of and in all these series since they're based on the defenders and just real beat people on the street like slug it out fighting and sort of stuff there's usually a lot of legal action there's been no actual courtroom action at all it's all been in one law office, not multiple law offices, but one law office of Jerry Hogarth. And I'm going to end with just saying, and this is not necessarily a knock on the Marvel comic book series of Jessica Jones here, but the, all these characters, and we'll get into it, but all these characters need decades of proper therapy to find themselves into some sort of normal life. And maybe they can never have a normal life, but man, this is just like, one messed up thing after another, and it's really hard to get a win out of it, which you really want with a comic book series. So that's my take on it. Anything else on that subject before we move on, Michelle? I think I'll expand on it when we get into talking about more stuff. Okay. And then also, as I was watching this, of course, it was made in probably 2018, came out in 2019, well before COVID-19, but I did notice some COVID-19 moments in these four episodes. I just want to point out just anything that you watch pre-pandemic, you're going to be going back and say, huh, I wonder if it kind of fits into the, our life now in, in the waning, hopefully, days of the pandemic or post-pandemic. So first of all, Jessica Jones provides a delivery to Todd White, one of the people that Eric was trying to blackmail, and she just buzzes in and says the person has to sign for it. I remember back in the day at the, at the beginning times of the pandemic, you didn't even have to sign for something. It just kind of left on your front porch. The signatures were waived because they didn't want you touching their stuff or anything. So anyway, I caught that. Casper Marx's restaurant, there was nobody in it, but the inference was there was an actual functional restaurant. Uh, the restaurants are opening now in mid-May of 2021, if they haven't already. 
it's just something that that I noticed. But the big one was as Jessica Jones was headed out the door to take a little day trip into Upper New York, Jillian tries to hand her hand sanitizer and says, those gas stations are full of E. coli. And she's like walking out. Remember, she doesn't have a spleen anymore. So she walks out without the hand sanitizer, comes back and, well, you never can be too careful. So I don't know if that's prophetic or not, but she did take the hand sanitizer, which is probably needed for a lot of people in 2021. Definitely. Okay, let's talk about Jessica Jones. And I was talking about the superhero power. She couldn't save herself from the train car. She's got incredible strength that she couldn't bend anything or punch her way through that train car to get out. And she was suffocating due to whatever gas that Salinger put in there. I mean, is that a superpower failure there? Or is like she just has a limit and the train car was the limit? I think the addition of the chemical superheroes have to breathe unless you're Superman. Because there's thoughts about Superman and breathing because about flying in space. Anyway, that's crossing the streams. Also, it was really thick. Also, I think she would have been smarter than just going in there without. I mean, she knows she's up against the guy who plans. And of course, I know last year she broke into that guy's last season. She broke into that guy's place and had to plant evidence or something maybe she's but then again she was like all confused trying to deal with the emotional trauma with her mother i don't know let's put jessica in some random danger and have somebody have to help her i have more to say about the train car but we'll wait until we get to salinger so there is a just stereotypical jessica jones and i kind of remember this from the first two seasons she does a lot of rushing off without knowing the destination and i think you know, ultimately that could lead to her going the wrong direction and having to backtrack. And she's going off to find the eighth person, right? She's like telling her friend, quote unquote friend, Malcolm, just to text her the details when she's on the way. And she just starts running out. Like, what if she makes a wrong turn? What if she ends up actually taking more time by not knowing the destination? It wasn't just that. It was also texting her information as she's on the way with Trish, Trish driving. Well, what if they start driving in the wrong direction? What if they get in a traffic jam in the wrong way or, you know, they hit rush hour in the wrong time? Really? You could just start going off without knowing your destination? Maybe that's her true superpower. She knows which direction to go without knowing the details. I don't know. Ugh. That's all I have to say about it. It's just ugh. But she does have a great wrestling lesson with Salinger. She just basically puts him out and he's trying to use it to his advantage. This is at the very end of the four episodes. And she is like, okay, I'm just going to take you up because she is experiencing trauma from finding the first person that he killed. And she doesn't want him around kids with wrestling because she knows how dangerous he is. And she's just trying to prove a point in front of cameras it could have backfired on her i'm glad it didn't but uh yeah she basically put him in his place not really cheating all that much i mean yes she was using her super strength but she didn't really cheat on the wrestling rules as much as he thought she was going to yeah it worked so you called him burger boy we called him burger boy last time eric gelden i guess is his last name according to imdb i don't ever remember him saying that on screen but eric 
We find out that he's powered. I don't know if we knew that last time. He has a hole radar, as Jessica Jones points out. And because of that, he has a gambling addiction, which leads to him blackmailing so he could get the money for Sal to get her off him. And Sal comes off basically a loan shark. I'm thinking just a loan shark that is trying to kill him. And she's got her grandson is right. Her grandson, right? She's got her grandson right there who plays throwing a toy soldier or action figure or whatever into the pool tied to a rock to imitate what his grandmother's doing. That's some key. mm -hmm, That's what I'm some key family dynamics going on right there. It's Sal. I want a grandmother like Sal around my kids. Yeah. That's great parenting. (laughs) And she gets what's coming to her. I think Trish is just trying to push her around a little bit. She ends up with a crowbar in her gut, which she survived from possibly. But yeah, I don't think that was a really big fight. I think that maybe that's the problem here is that these people are going against unpowered individuals and it's just really easy to push them aside or whatever. Well, Trish, in these four episodes, Trish is like, I got superpowers and I can do all these things. And she's learning that she can't go 100% all the time because that was the problem. She went full out against a regular person and nearly killed them. This is important because of Trish's story arc about how she deals with conflict as her superhero alter ego right now is like vigilante woman, but comic book people know her as Hellcat. So when she's doing this and how she's fighting, it does play into her story arc for the rest of the season. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. My notes on Trish include, she continues to want to redeem herself or help people throughout all seven episodes. Basically she seems to need to have Jessica's approval still. You know, you had the whole writing the email that Jessica finally read, even though it wasn't sent to her. And she has issues, basically, of her own. And she has somebody take a picture of her at the very end. I'm not sure what that's all about at the very end. And and I know you can't tell me, but just me looking at this and not watching anything beyond episode seven, I have no idea why she had somebody take a picture of her jumping off the bridge and and acting like a superhero uh, it just didn't make any sense to me other than she wants the exposure yeah it's i want the exposure and she thinks by doing this it takes heat off of jessica oh i see she's trying to help without uh, talking it through with anybody including her mom which jessica outs her to her mom basically and her mom runs away in typical mom fashion and that goes back to the comment i made of all these characters need a lot of therapy because trish goes over everything right back to her mom like i had bruises growing up you basically pit me out and she's still friends with her mom i don't know that that would take a lot to go through all that with a parent and then still have the parent be so involved in your life that they're basically your manager still so I don't get all that. I think it should be a clean break. And the mom just leaving when she finds out that her daughter has superpowers and will continue to use them. 
I just don't get it. It doesn't register to me. It's the typical push and pull between those three, especially Trish and her mom. They argue, they separate, they come back. They have a cycle and they've always had this cycle, even since season one, where they fight. Trish says, I don't need you. And then all of a sudden she's calling her mom to take her to rehab or to help her fix her image because of rehab or something like that. It's a cycle that we actually do see over the course of the three seasons. But why? There's no need for me to see that again, in my opinion. I know that that's like what I said when I started talking about this last one, where it's like growth and the lack of it. Yeah. Talking about lack of growth. It's all about the Jerry Hogarth. It's all about her. She doesn't care about anybody else. And, you know, she's got this debilitating disease that most likely ends up in death, right? And so she's just looking for what she's going to do along her last days, enjoying the journey in her own words, and definitely has denial about her medical needs, doesn't want anything to do with that. She's wanting this college girlfriend, Kith, who is married now and has kids, and she's dealing with the husband with that whole thing. And, and that's just almost a despicable storyline right there. And then she's all about saving her law firm despite taking advantage of, of Jessica Jones. I mean, Jessica Jones basically hands her information. She's like, I got to reshape my image and I have to rebuild my law firm. So I was gonna, I'm going to take that and stab you in the back with it. She has Rand stolen by her old firm. Rand is a client. Danny's nowhere around. He's on quote unquote sabbatical or whatever. So he can't come and say, no, I, I want to use Jerry because he's got a relationship with Jerry. I think if Danny was around, that wouldn't have been a big issue. But the old law firm comes in and, okay, it's all about the Jerry. It's all made up stuff just because Jerry Hogarth is going through something in her life. In season one, we did see her cheat on her wife and be very selfish and possessive. This is taking it too far. Again, it's still the same old Jerry and it's even worse. And she just doesn't want to cope. And again, as we keep saying, these are adults who refuse to get any sort of help at all. It's just, it gets bad. It's just bad. Yeah, moving on to Malcolm, similar issues. You know, he's struggling with respect, power, right and wrong, which has been the same thing all along. And he's now got this forced wedge in between himself and Zaya. They're not allowed to tell each other what they're doing in the law firm. And that was just a storyline put in there just to contribute to conflict between the two. And... Now you have Zaya investigating Malcolm. You got Malcolm that's rebelling against the firm, so maybe he should be investigated. But it's like it's needless plot thing that's going along in my mind. He cheats on Zaya with Barry, this hooker who is the sister of Eric, who he rescues from Gore. And I think he mainly he just rescues her from her pimp, Gore. Because Gore lays him out with a punch and he just wants to go back and beat him up so like he can. And he doesn't even grab her. I mean, she's vulnerable out there. He doesn't even grab her. He rationalizes it that if she doesn't come here on her own, she's just going to run away again, which there's probably some truth to that. But there's other things you can do. You basically made her vulnerable out there for Salinger. And he ends up cheating 
with Zaya with her. I mean, she forces the issue, but he doesn't push her away. It doesn't take much to push somebody away from you, and he just runs with it. I don't see much character growth here with Malcolm either, because he's exhibiting the same sort of traits that he has in the past two seasons. Yeah, the self-destructive trying to stay clean from an addiction by replacing it. You try to replace it with something healthy, you try to exercise, you try all these coping mechanisms, but he's self-destructing because he's working for Jerry Hogarth. And at the end of last season, he knew what he was getting into and now he's regretting it. And he just doesn't go to Jessica and say, I was wrong. Can you help me? Because that would just be my pride. No. A lot of personal pride that's going on here. I don't know if people are really like that. I mean, if you need help, I know some people kind of refuse it, but a lot of people reach out in some way to somebody else to get the help that they need. Salinger definitely is somebody that doesn't think he needs any help. Matter of fact, he's been killing people for a very long time. He has been denoted as barely human by Eric. It really took me a while to to figure out what motivated him because I'm like, what is Sal? I have no idea. There's no backstory on Salinger, which we ultimately have to find out. So what motivates him? The truth, he hates cheaters. He wants to get ahead in life by using what he naturally has. And he hates superpowered people that were created in a lab, basically. Uh, we find out that he's anti-Tom Cruise. Did you catch that, by the way? He's anti-Tom Cruise. You know how to figure that out? The shoe lifts. That's right. Tom Cruise is famous for putting lifts in his shoes, and he hates people that cheats by putting lifts in their shoes. So, Tom, stay away from Salinger because he doesn't like you. And he stated as he wants to bring pain to power. Okay. Uh, sounds like a crackpot to me, but he's crackpot enough that he's been successful so far and he's got a couple superheroes after him. Now there's a couple of actions that he takes that I really question and you hit the nail on the head in the show notes a little bit. And you want to talk about that? So he's after Eric because Eric blackmails people because of his gambling debt. And here's the thing. Jessica Jones is a known superhero. You are supposed to be the smartest serial killer ever. You're getting away with it. Yet you follow Burger Boy to Jessica Jones. And instead of waiting for Burger Boy to leave in the morning or something rational like that, you knock on Jessica Jones door and you stab the superhero for some odd reason and then you get confused as to why she's after him it's like hello you stabbed her and i don't know there is a i am in profiling i'm not an expert on this but there are certain things about how some criminals get away with something for so long that they want to challenge So I'm wondering, does he want to challenge, like he ends up stabbing Jessica and then does he actually like it because now he's up against a challenge 
And it's that whole, can this person catch me? You probably can't, which is why I'm really worthy of being this inhuman killing machine and I'm smarter than everyone. It's like, if you've been wanting to get away with it and you see Burger Boy go into alias investigation, and even if he's like, gee whiz, who owns that? He could Google it and find out. And it's just why it's one of those things of it's what a lot of people call like 10 minute movies or like what event could have just ended a movie within 20 minutes. And it's just someone doing something really logical. How could this storyline been wrapped up really quickly? Burger boy leaves in the morning after having sex with Jessica Salinger kidnapping him and jessica just thinking that the guy ghosted her because she's used to one night stands and she's just like okay he ghosted me i'm used to that whatever i'm going to go on with my life end of that plot that's the end of that plot that's it yeah but let's take a stab literally at a private investigator yeah let, let's try to get that going yeah that's not very smart also when Jessica throws the morgue hand and arm, whatever you want to call it, the body part, into his apartment. His first thought is to go hide it with all the other body parts, thus leading anybody who happens to be following him or has thrown the body part in there to the stash of other body parts. Now, he's taking precautions. There's no DNA evidence. There's nothing to connect him to the train car other than the fact that he was there and who can prove it just the testimony of Jessica Jones. So not really rock solid right there. And he's created a booby trap in the train car, which does almost kill Jessica Jones. So maybe it was to trap whoever was tailing him there. But why would you want to do that where you're storing the body parts? That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. You could have run that trap on another train car in another train yard didn't have to be that anyway i just had plot issues with that moment oh me too i'm like why didn't you lead her to like a really dangerous factory and turn on all these dangerous machines and make it like attack of the clones where they have to go through that really weird smashy thing and padme and all that or like even in galaxy quest you know at the end with the smashy things and it's like, what are these for? Like, you could have taken that anywhere, or you could have just gone and found a industrial furnace and burnt it. It's just, again, logical things because you've set up. So here's the thing, though, and why we are actually justified in this critique. You set up this character to be methodical and smart and a know-it-all, and now doing all these inconsistent things it's just yeah and so jessica finds him by going to casper marx who has the restaurant there's nothing really there other than casper kisses him and freaks him out so that's how casper lives okay so why didn't salinger go back and kill him after the fact right because he's a loose end so why did salinger let that loose end go after he kills seven other people i I just don't understand that donnie's tractor accident 
It's not really stated exactly what happened. I don't know if we're going to get flashback to that eventually or not, but it's kind of an open-ended thing right now. One thing that really freaked me out and should have freaked out even Jerry is the amount of homework that Salinger did on the team that was representing him in Jerry's law firm, including all the stuff on Zaya, which gets Malcolm in there. It's like, oh, heck no. No, this guy is so much of a bad guy. Let's not work with him. But he he is, like you were saying, methodical, and he does his research, and he just wants to know more than anybody else. And I don't know. It's not really a comic book villain, in my opinion. It's just a really strange individual that they have to take care of in normal police work procedures, something like that. Kith, I feel for Kith because she's stuck between these two people that want to own her, whether she realizes or not, and they just make a total mess out of her life because of things that they do. And she has no control over at that point. And I just, I feel sorry for her at that point. And I blame Jerry for at least half of what happened. There were ways that she could have done it without being jealous and releasing that information the way that she did. So again, you were saying, how could this plot have been different? Jerry could have been less of an a-hole and not done it that way. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I... Being a dead horse. The last thing I want to mention is this Wappinger cop. And I don't know if we're going to see this Wappinger cop again or not, but the whole interaction with her was just very suspicious. This things that she seemed to know, but hide. I mean, she even states sometimes you got to let things slide. So I'm wondering what is her connection? Is she Salinger's real mom? I have no idea, but it was the dialogue several times in the series has been very foreboding because she knew that Donnie wasn't Greg's first kill, but did she know that Greg killed Nathan? Was was it the wrestling boy, Nathan? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The tractor accident is real. Right. Right. Tractor accident is just the tractor accident. That's the red herring. The actual first kill is, is Nathan. Because of the whole wrestling thing. And he gets away with it. Helps build that gazebo. And the whole. We're going to just believe. A kid ran away. We're just going to believe. The best friend. Yeah some small town thinking that way. But it's stereotypical. Like they can't do their own investigating. It's just. I don't know. There's a reluctance to it anyway. And. There's a YouTube channel that I'm following, uh, Ventures with Purpose, and they run into this all the time, where they're looking for a possibility of a missing person in a vehicle in some sort of body of water. And honestly, the sensing technology just in the last couple of years has grown immensely to the point where you can really find vehicles in the water where you at once it was very difficult to. So I'll let a lot of these small town police departments off the hook. but this adventures with purpose team they run into a lot of oh we searched that already well we're proving that the technology that you searched it with is actually not as good of what is out there today and they're finding cars in the water 
that are either involved in crimes or suicides or, or whatever accidents that should have been found 30 years ago and using that with this Wappinger cop thing. I just, like I said, I don't know if we're going to get to see her again or not, but I had all sorts of spidey sense tingling stuff going on in my brain going, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't want to deal with her. But anyway, four episodes, four through seven. Thank you for four hours of treadmill time. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about these episodes? No. Okay. So next time we're going to be covering two episodes of Jessica Jones, season three, episode eight and episode nine. They're called AKA camera friendly and AKA I did something today. And that will be our penultimate episode on Jessica Jones because we'll be covering the final four of the episode after that. So if you have any thoughts on Jessica Jones in its totality or the Defenders universe in its totality, let us know and we will talk about it on a future show. In the meantime, are you ready to talk about some news? Yeah. Okay, here we go. We finally have some MODOK news. We do. So MODOK is scheduled to come out on Hulu on May 21st. There is some tweets out of the Marvel Prime account, probably some Instagram posts and everywhere else that Marvel posts about this MODOK series coming up on Hulu on May 21st. There's 10 episodes. I don't know if they're all going to be released at the same time or if it's going to be a weekly release or whatever. It is an animated series. You have Patton Oswald as the co-creator of the series. He is playing Modoc. Now, who is Patton Oswald? For those long-term listeners and viewers of Legends of Shield, you know that he is a Agent Koenig from Agents of Shield, and not just one Agent Koenig, at least three or possibly four if you go back to the last season when he was back in time. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but what else has he done? He's got a ton of credits, but here are some geek-related credits that I pulled from his IMDb. Down Periscope. Yeah, he was in Down Periscope. Down Periscope. Blade Trinity. Ratatouille. Kim Possible. Caprica. Burn Notice. Justified. Archer. Big Hero 6, the series, and the Goldbergs. You forgot one of the best things he's ever done, which was his Park and Rex park and recreation episode where he does this filibuster and it's all him he's the one that you know wrote it doing the star wars thing it was just basically the script he does a filibuster and Patton oswalt just came up with all of the stuff and just did so yeah that is something notable that he's done yeah it was an incredible improv moment absolutely He's done a lot of other things. It was just selecting things. And also Nathan Fillion, for example, he's got a lot of other credits, but he's playing Simon Williams and geek related credits. He's got Firefly, Venture Brothers. So some uh, voiceover acting stuff there. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog, Gravity Falls and Robot Chicken. There's a ton of other stuff like Castle and uh, what is it called? The, uh, the Oh, the cop one. Yeah. yeah. R- rookie. So that's out there. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg is going to be playing Marion Pouncey. And of course, she was in, I don't know if you know this or not, but Captain Planet and the Planeteers was some voiceover stuff that she was doing. Star Trek, The Next Generation, of course, 
The Lion King. Did you know that she was a voice in The Lion King? Yes. Okay. She's one of the hyenas. Toy Story 3. And by the way, she was an Oscar winner for her 1991 performance as a supporting role in Ghost 1990 movie. She's actually one of the very few what's called EGOTs, where she's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Bill Hader is playing Samuel Stearns, and he was in Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, The Venture Brothers, he did a voice there, Toy Story 4, and a voice in The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. John Hamm will be playing Iron Man, which was, it was really weird, by the way. If you watch the trailer, there is a scene in the trailer where Iron Man is flying around and you get to hear a different voice than Robert Downey Jr.'s voice. And I know there's other animation stuff out there, but it was just a little bit different to me. And was like, oh, okay. He was in Space Cowboys. He was in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Sucker Punch. I know it's not a very good movie to a lot of people, but he was still in it. Robot Chicken, Mad Men. He was the narrator of Legion. So we have covered John Hamm before on this show, and he will be in Top Gun Maverick when it comes out later this year, I think. Now, Amy Garcia as Jodie Tarleton was in Lucifer. I don't know if you watch Lucifer or not. I do. Okay. Yeah. I love Lucifer. So do you remember seeing Amy Garcia on there? Knowing actors with their characters right now is not. Okay. Yeah, it's not in my brain right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. And, and we were talking about the Goldbergs before, and Wendy McClendon Covey is going to be playing Monica Rappaccini, and she is the main wife in the Goldbergs. And the series is produced by Jordan Bloom and Pat Oswald, created by Jordan Bloom. And Jordan Bloom and his co producer, Brett Colley, were running the American Dad series. So they do have some experience with the animation series so i am all of a sudden looking forward to at least checking this out and seeing where it goes i don't know if we'll cover it here on the show yet or not but that will be coming out just in a couple of days so i'm more excited about it that i've gone through the cast now i guess than anything else all right so that's it for our show today do you have an idea of what we should be doing now I think we should pack up the car and take a road trip. Oh, to maybe to a small town upstate? Exactly. Okay, here we go. Thank you to our listeners for sticking with us through this final series of The Defenders. And uh, we'll see if we get any character reprisals in future marvel or sony productions so thank you very much for that and uh, thank you very much to lauren for popping in in our live chat saying she misses us we miss her so thank you very much for that and thank you for watching downloading interacting with us on twitter and discord we really appreciate it so until next time where we cover the next couple episodes of jessica jones i'm director sp and i'm agent michelle see everybody next time bye bye Really lead people to the train car where your body parts are stored. It's like drawing. It's like when I play D&D and it's like, does the evil guy have the map? It's like, no. But in this case, yes, he's the villain that has the map in his pocket. Well, we'll see what the next two episodes bring us. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, 
go to gunnageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2021.